0: giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. The 2022 midterm elections are just around the corner, and important primary elections have taken place all across the country over the last few weeks. Idaho, Kentucky, North Carolina, Oregon, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Alaska, Minnesota, Georgia, and Alabama have all held various primary elections for federal and gubernatorial offices. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, NAHU's Chris Hartman and John Green are here to discuss a few of these election results and their potential impacts come November. So the midterm elections, of course, can be game changers for the partisan makeup in Congress and therefore change what Congress might pass in a given year. And this year is no exception. Before we discuss the specific primary results, let's set the stage for today's discussion. What is the current makeup of the House and Senate? And building off of that, which elections are expected to be the most competitive?
1: Thanks, Dan. Great to be back on the podcast today. So the House and the Senate actually are some of the closest margins of control that we've seen in over the last 50 years. Currently the House of Representatives, the Democrats have 221 seats. The Republicans have 208 seats, and there are six vacancies. And as people know, it it takes 218 votes to pass legislation. So the Democrats are just barely in control of the House of Representatives. After the last election, they actually lost seats from the previous election. Over on the Senate side, there are currently 50 Republicans, 48 Democrats, and two independents who caucus with the Democrats. That would get you to 50-50. And then the deciding vote in the Senate is the vice president. And so that gives it back to Democratic control. So you can see both bodies are just barely in control. As we look towards this election, I think there's a few things to look at. I think historically, the party in the White House tends to lose seats in an election. And so I I think that particularly has an effect on the House of Representatives. And we are just going through the every 10 years redistricting process. keep in mind, every seat in the House of Representatives will be up in this election. And one third of the Senate seats will be up because Senators serve in office for six years, so I think the the House races are going to be very competitive. Redistricting has moved some of them into being solid Democratic and solid Republican seats, so there's probably less competitive seats. But the momentum is definitely behind the Republicans because, like I said, the party that controls the White House tends to lose these midterm elections. Moving over to the Senate, we see some very competitive elections. I think there are really five that most people are talking about now the most competitive elections, and they would be in Arizona and Georgia with Senator Kelly and Senator Warnock. You might remember they just recently won special elections to replace senators, so they've only been in office for two years. And then Senator Cortez Masto of Nevada, who's involved in a very tight race and is definitely a toss-up. The other two races in the Senate that people are judging as very close is Senator Johnson of Wisconsin and the open seat in Pennsylvania
2: that we just had the primaries on. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Chris in terms of the specific races that he just mentioned. You know, with respect to redistricting, there were some district lines that were changed where a member may not have been as well known, and those are more competitive, or if they're open, they're more competitive. But the number of competitive seats, I think, historically, is getting smaller as time goes on because they're being drawn to favor one side or the other. Yeah, redistricting, if it was controlled by the state legislature and
1: not a commission, really pushed to making very safe seats. We saw this particularly in a lot of states like Texas and Illinois, where they drew very safe seats and really to the point of uh, forecasting over the next decade that they would not even be competitive seats. And so it does create a much smaller amount of seats that are really competitive in an election.
2: What I found interesting in a lot of the results that I was watching last night is the number of ballots, like in Georgia, for example, in the Senate race, there were 500,000 more Republican ballots than Democratic ballots. Now, Warnock didn't have any competition, so I could understand people staying home because his seat was you know, safe for Democrats in terms of their primary. But I saw this repeatedly in other states, too, where the turnout was higher on the Republican side. So that also may be an indicator of what might happen in the fall, that the enthusiasm on the Republican side, at least for the moment, seems to be much higher than on the Democratic side.
0: Let's get right into it. Let's talk about that Georgia Senate primary. So obviously, as you mentioned, people across the country are looking at Georgia closely in light of those 2020 results that gave Democrats that very slim majority in the Senate. So this week, we found out who would be challenging Senator Raphael Warnock in the general election. So could you talk about that result and a little bit about the importance of that seat?
2: Well, the importance of the seat is that it's what switched it from Republican control to Democratic control. And Because Senator Warnock, as as Chris said, has only been there for a couple of years, you know, trying to establish himself within the state is a greater challenge. I think that there were concerns about Herschel Walker in terms of being the candidate, you know, coming from the world of football to politics, but, you know, we've seen stranger you know, occupational switches in the past, but he's been uh, very adept and he has a very good team behind him advising him. A lot of former Senator Johnny Isaacson's team is on his staff. He's gotten the support of, of Leader McConnell. Herschel Walker also had a support of President Trump, and it was one of the times last night where someone backed by President Trump actually won. I'd say that through the primary so far last night was the worst night for President Trump in that regard.
1: There were lots of competitive primaries in, the, in, uh, in Georgia last night. The governor's race was on the Republican side, very competitive between Brian Kemp and Senator Perdue. Senator Perdue was endorsed by President Trump. However, Brian Kemp won that primary and now hands into a general election against Stacey Abrams. You may remember Stacey Abrams was the Democratic nominee four years prior, so it's really going to be a rematch between the two of them. There was also a very competitive race with the Secretary of State of Georgia, with President Trump opposing the Secretary of State, being renominated for Secretary of State within the Republican Party primary because of the way the election turned out and President Trump's concerns about the way votes were counted in Georgia. So those were very contested primaries. On the Democratic side, it was a little quieter not as many contested primaries. The biggest one was really in a House race with redistricting. Two Democrats were drawn into the same districts. Lucy McBath was drawn into the same district as Carolyn Bordeaux, and Lucy McBath won that election in that primary in what is a very safe Democratic seat, where they combined a lot of the Democratic bases of those two districts to push the Democrats into one and to create another seat that Republicans could win
0: instead. Surely you know by now that NAHU's annual convention will be held in Austin, Texas from June 25th through 28th. That is less than one month away, so register now. Beginning Monday, May 31st, there will be a Memorial Day discount that will allow you to save $50 off the registration fee for convention. So beginning Monday, May 31st, keep your eyes out for that deal. Go to naa2.org and register. So over in Alabama, Senator Richard Shelby decided not to run for re-election this cycle, making both the Democrat and Republican primaries there hotly contested. So what happened there? And considering the Alabama Senate seat, do you think the Democratic nominee has the ability to flip that seat?
2: I personally don't think so. I think it's a deeply red state. Katie Britt was the former chief of staff for Senator Shelby. And while, you know, it's a runoff with the runner-up with Mo Brooks, a former congressman, and was supported by President Trump, by the popular vote wasn't even really that close. 45 to 29, respectively. So I think that Katie Britt probably is going to be
0: the next senator, in my opinion. And that's the Republican primary election.
1: Yeah, they have to go into a runoff. So after last night, guild was whittled little down to those two on the Republican side. On the Democratic side, the nominee will be Will Boyd. He's a former city council member from Greenville. However, I think as John pointed out, this race really won't be very competitive in November. The last Democratic Senator, Doug Jones, was defeated in the last election. And it's highly unlikely the Democrats will be winning any statewide races in Alabama for some time to come.
0: So. Each election cycle, one aspect of primaries that can be worrisome to more moderate and bipartisan associations like NAHU is the ongoing battle between progressive and moderate Democrats. There were a couple of primaries in the past week where progressives have attempted to oust the moderate incumbents. So could you talk a bit about those primaries and the implications of those results?
1: Sure. So... There's an ongoing battle uh, within, especially House Democrats, between the more progressive wing and the more moderate wings of the party. We've seen this for several primary elections now. Back looking at Ohio and Cleveland, there was a very high profile race between Chantel Brown and Nina Turner. NHU has been a supporter of Chantel Brown. She's actually a health insurance agent. And Nina Turner was the chairperson of Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign and as one of the leading national advocates in Medicare for All. That was a very competitive primary that NHU got involved in on behalf of Chantel Brown, and she was victorious there, seeing the more moderate candidate win there. However, there have been other races, like in Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh, replacing retiring Congressman Mike Doyle, with the more progressive Summer Lee came through in the primary. It also appears that in Oregon, NHU supported Kurt Schrader is down and looks likely to lose that primary. I think what happened there, because of redistricting, only about 30% of that district were current constituents of Kurt. I think he had difficulty conveying a message to the new 70% of them uh, within a Democratic primary that he's somebody that they could count on. We work very closely with Kurt Schrader on everything from COBRA's credible coverage to the medical loss ratio because he's an energy and commerce member. So if those numbers hold and he, he he does lose, it will be a loss to moderate Democrats, but also somebody who's fought a lot for health insurance agents and brokers. Another competitive race on the Democratic side last night was Henry Quaylar in Texas, somebody who QPAC has also endorsed and supported. Henry represents a district in Southern Texas and is a much more moderate Democrat's NHU has worked with him on various different issues around Medicare Advantage and some pieces of legislation there. And this has been somebody we've scored in the past. He is currently up ahead in that primary, but it might go to a recount in Texas. And this was actually the runoff in Texas after uh, the initial primary election several weeks ago in Texas.
0: So we also mentioned a little earlier about Pennsylvania and the Pennsylvania Senate race is also being closely watched plenty of folks vied for the opportunity to fill the senate seat that is being vacated by Republican Patrick J. Toomey Pennsylvania Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman won the Democratic primary but the Republican side remains contested between Dr Oz the celebrity television physician and Dave McCormick the wealthy leader of a hedge fund what do you guys think will happen here and what are and what do you think will happen in November
2: I think it very much depends on how the recount goes on the Republican side with very different candidates. And I think that uh, the Democrats put forward a very strong candidate for Senate and you know while Dr. Oz was supported by President Trump, I think he's a stronger campaigner. I think he's a better fit as a potential senator. And so know i just personally speaking i would prefer to see him come out but he's only ahead by a small amount he's already declared victory but that doesn't really mean anything they still have to go through the the recount process and we'll just have to see how that comes out
1: yeah on the democratic side you're right the the primary side of the election night john Federman the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania defeated Congressman Connor Lamb, who represents suburban Pittsburgh. John Fetterman's kind of an interesting character, if you've ever seen him. He is about 6'4, shaved head, tattoos, and usually walks around in gym shorts. So he is kind of a, a different character as Lieutenant Governor and the former mayor of Raddock, Pennsylvania. So I, I think there is a certain sort of personality and persona that John Fetterman will be using to try to connect with voters differently than Democrats have in the past with a more buttoned-down, eye-wearing, professional look. So I think they're hoping that this really appeals to more of a blue-collar look in Pennsylvania. John Fetterman's politics, however, are fairly progressive and has backing by much of the Sanders wing of the party. I think also when you look towards the general election and some of what happened in the primary here, John Fetterman did not get much support from the African-American community. And so if they're not excited about him in November, areas from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia and others might not turn out in a way to elect John Federman and perhaps a Dave McCormick or uh, Dr. Oz will be in a better position to win that election. This by far is going to be one of the most competitive races in November. It was one of the five races I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. So I think it is a race to watch. But the first step, as John points out, will be getting the Republican nomination, and that's probably going to involve the recount and probably quite a few court cases to decide who the Republican nominee will be going into November.
0: Now, moving south to North Carolina, a Senate primary that's also at the forefront of electoral discussions as Senator Richard Burr will retire at the end of this term. The Democratic Party have been looking to flip North Carolina for some time now, so former Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court, Cherry Beasley, won the Democratic primary and will face Republican Congressman Ted Budd in the general election. So do you believe that Beasley has a chance of flipping that seat in November? So
1: I think this race will be competitive and a lot of money will be spent. I think if you're living in North Carolina, you will definitely see plenty of ads on this. I would probably say, however, given the current environment and how I talked about at the beginning of the podcast that the party that has the White House tends to do poorly in these midterm elections, I would give the advantage to Congressman Bud to beat the Supreme Court Justice of North Carolina in the election. Because I just think historically, you know, Richard Burr had this seat before with the party in power of the White House tends to do poorly. I think Ted Budd is more likely to beat Cheryl Beasley while she does have some recognition from being state Supreme Court Chief Justice, I don't know if it's gonna be really enough to overcome the current political environment out there. So I would kind of put this race more in a lean Republican sort of way as we're looking into the election. North Carolina also had several primaries in the House of Representatives, and North Carolina had significant redistricting. So there's gonna be bringing many, many new members of the House. So there's several different races that I think will continue to be competitive into not just in the primary, but in the general election. For example, Congressman G.K. Butterfield has hired in District 1, and I think both Don Davis, the Democrat, and Sandy Smith, the Republican, will be in a very competitive race with the way that district has been drawn. I think that we're likely to see a lot of competitiveness there. Also in the newly drawn district, it was 13. The Republicans have nominated Bo Hines, a law school student and ex college football player, and the Democrats have nominated State Senator Wiley Nichols. Most Raiders put this race uh, in a very highly competitive way for the 13th district in North Carolina. And I think that will be a true toss up going into the election there. Obviously, Madison Cawthorn lost his primary for renomination, he made quite a bit of news. In the last few weeks, I don't know if we need to get into all the details on the podcast. I'm sure you can just Google that to find out all the details there. But he did lose redomination in his District 11th. This is Western North Carolina. This should probably be fairly solidly Republican in the general election with Chuck Edwards, a state senator, defeating him in
2: the primary.
0: Before we conclude, are there any other important results that you'd like listeners to know about?
2: Yeah, I would start with incumbency, whether it was the governor's race in Georgia, as Chris mentioned, Governor Kemp beating back a Trump-supported former Senator Perdue, or Senator Bozeman in Arkansas. It was the same story in Texas and in Alabama, where an incumbency mattered. I think also the establishment largely won out here, as we talked about Katie Britt in Alabama. So, I think that it gives us some idea of where people are at, at least at the moment. I think that there's always been a a yearning still for normal people to be here in, in Washington, for the most part, as we just talked about Mr. Cawthorn, who had many unforced errors there. And it was even too much for the people in North Carolina in that district. Those are things to think about as the campaigns progress into the fall?
1: Yeah, I think there's a number of House races where you have member-on-member competitions within the primary going on that will make news over the next few weeks. In Michigan, you have Congressman Andy Levin, sort of a hard-left Democrat, union-oriented from the Detroit area, versus Haley Stevens, a much more moderate pro-business Democrat that NHU has worked with in the past. They will be in a very competitive primary going down the road. And I think that will be something that people will be paying close attention to in Michigan. In uh, Illinois, Congresswoman Maureen Newman is in a primary, very progressive activist. She's in a competitive primary against Congressman Sean Caston. They were put into the same district. Again, I think this is going to turn into a bit of an ideological battle going down the road. Uh, Again, you'll see the sort of Wings of the Democratic Party facing off against each other of are we going to look at things in a more capitalistic point of view or a more left socialistic point of view for these primaries and what that means going into the general? I think for Democrats, the other sort of big question on one of the most competitive Senate races is Wisconsin. Senator Ron Johnson is obviously running for reelection on the Republican side and will be the nominee. I think on the Democratic side, the field is wide open with many candidates making a very competitive race. Melinda Barnes, the lieutenant governor of Wisconsin, is raising the state treasurer, uh, is also running in, in the race. And Alex Lesery, the senior vice president of the Milwaukee Bucks, is there. And I think that's going to be a very competitive primary. And if you live in Wisconsin, you're probably seeing nonstop ads there. All of them make very strong candidates, and so it will make for it head of primary through the general election in Wisconsin.
0: It is now time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. So what are we toasting to this week?
2: So This week we're toasting to those who have fallen in recognition of Memorial Day, but we do hope that you have an enjoyable long weekend and spend great quality time with your families. Cheers!
0: Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts, or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.